0: This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California, in Silver Lake, in Malibu. Aloe was created as a place to treat addicts with compassion, not control. It is designed to give addicts the best experience possible when trying to get sober. First of all, they offer a detox that's as comfortable as it possibly can be. If you're kicking heroin, or you're kicking pills, or you're kicking alcohol or anything really, you know how important a comfortable detox is. They have an incredibly experienced staff at treating co-occurring mental health disorders. And they have amazing amenities, including sound bath meditation, surfing, sweat lodge, equine therapy. If I was going to be all fucked up on drugs again, and I had to get better, the place I would totally choose would be Aloe. If you're fucked, and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I would totally recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by you guys in the Dopey Nation through the power of the Dopey Podcast Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Throw a few bucks, help make the show a little bit better, a little bit easier. Look, one day, I promise you, there will be exclusive Patreon content, but I'm working in the deli too much right now. Also... Go to www.dopypodcast.com for the dopiest in dopey fashion. We have long sleeves, we have nice hoodies, we have a bunch of nice t-shirts, check it out. And if you want our incredibly cool Big Bird inspired dopey socks, if you want a dopey snapback, or if you want a dopey ski hat, or... Dopey stickers. I actually got a bunch of new Dopey stickers, which I will be posting this week. You go to um, just Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. Just write me at DopeyPodcast at gmail and tell me what you want, and I will ship it out. Enough of the ads. Here is the show. Right. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm in my attic on Long Island, in the attic of my house. And this is a different kind of episode. This is an episode with a friend of mine from Long Island. His name is Garrett. Uh, I totally admire his recovery. And uh, I did an interview with him so you could hear about it. I call it the fear, anger, and love episode. I sat with Garrett by the bay. And here it is. But before we get into it, I just want to apologize. The audio in the beginning of the interview, Garrett, is a little bit quiet. So just bear with it. It kicks in a little bit. So if you want to complain, write me an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear your complaints. And here is me and Garrett in his pickup truck on the Great South Bay in Long Island. And welcome to Dopey. Thank you. Hello. I know know you've always wanted to come on the show. (laughs) Finally, you get your shot at it, Mm -hmm. which I say very tongue in cheek. Garrett was like, I don't want to come on this stupid
1: show. No, it's good. I'm excited.
0: And this, this today, Garrett is celebrating fucking 16 years,
1: 16 years. God bless.
0: Which is like a, a... Nobody ever comes on Dopey the day they celebrate 16 years. So you're... you're I think you're going to do some good for these sick and suffering fucks in the Dopey Nation.
1: Well, I could do is what I could do.
0: Well, There you go. We're sitting in a giant red pickup truck staring at the very picturesque bay, which is lovely. And um, so, dude, 16 years ago right now, how different were you?
1: Well... That's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> um well, 16 years ago today I was um I was a troubled young man, 27 years old, 2 weeks before my 28th birthday and um I didn't know which way was up, which way was down. Um, from that point I uh I guess um I remember my last drink, I remember what it was like and I remember my first drink. But in between was like a no holds ball cage match between drugs, booze, women, and alcohol. It's just how it was, you know. I,
0: I when I wanted to think of a title, I mean, I thought of a title for this show, for yeah. your show, for weeks that I've been thinking about this, which is uh, "Anger and Love." I see those things as yeah. the Garrett things, Because yeah. <laughs> Garrett, me and True Garrett, story. I go to a meeting on Long Island, and uh, in in you know in in Suffolk County, and. I showed up there. I actually, I was sick, you know, like when I, when I first went, Chris had just died and I hadn't been to a meeting in a long time because I had moved out here and it was on the beach and, uh, and I heard Garrett share and, and Garrett's this, he's a very muscular tattooed guy. And I was like, where the fuck am I? I was like, what kind of fucking, you know, like, cause I'm so, I'm like, I feel like I'm a very bougie Manhattanite. And I'm showing up at this very working class Suffolk County meeting and, and you share and everybody shares. And I'm like, I wonder how I'm going to fit in to this thing. And Garrett would always share about anger and then he would always come back to love. Mm. And uh, and whenever we talk about anything, he would talk about that. Love is your higher power. And I, I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that your love is your higher power.
1: Yeah. For a long time, I, I lived in that fear, you know, and I would turn into anger. It wasn't until I got sober, a couple years in, so I'm not saying this happened right away, but a few years into sobriety is when I, when I deciphered the difference between, um, between, you know, fear and love. Uh, my sponsor taught me I was about six, five, six years sober when he, he taught me there's only two ways to live, and that's the only two ways we live. We have a choice today. Either live in fear or live in love. And, you know, my choice mostly is to live in love, but, you know, there's still some fear that cracks out, you know, But uh, for the most part... Um, you know, I got that uh, I got that love working for me. But yeah, like like David was saying, I'm uh, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a you know, I work out a lot. I'm tattooed from head to toe, and uh, basically the tattoos were so everybody else would be more fearful of me than I was of them. Right, know, in the big picture, you know, and uh, I was when I first. Are you kidding? <laughs> the bottom line is that I'm not that guy anymore. Even though I got the tattoos, sometimes I forget that I'm, I even have that. You know, and that's the difference. Um, I live a different life today, a different different, different lifestyle. But uh, you want to get back into talking about what it was like, or you want to keep on talking about the love that we have today?
0: I want to hear about what it was like. I would yeah. love to hear about that. So yeah,
1: so when I was young, um, my old man was uh, was a drunk, and we we had a great childhood. My old man, my mom and dad separated when I was one and a half. But my mom, my dad always bought us with he bought our love, and my mom always showed us love. Sorry, but uh. But in the big picture, um, they uh, they showed their love in their own way. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, the show my dad's love was how who could pick out the most seeds out of his weed. You know, really, that's kinda how it was when I was your a kid. dad was a stoner. My dad was was whatever. You know, just how it was. You know, and, and my mom was was a party. Nobody had better parties than my mom on my mom's side. You know, with my, with my stepdad. Although we had a great childhood, but, you know, drinking started at an early age. It was okay for me to drink, you know. Smoking weed, I used to steal a joint from here with my dad. I didn't really particularly like weed. But the point was, I remember from a very early age looking for something to get out of myself. You know, like something was wrong inside me, and I couldn't understand what it was, you know. And, uh, And I was talking to David before, I have a twin brother, and my twin brother... Has absolutely no problem with anything. Like he would look at me, and be like, "What's wrong with you, bro?" He got the good jeans? <laughs> yeah, he got the good jeans. It's like um, to- uh, Danny DeVito and, uh, and Arnold, Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I may look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I was Danny DeVito, <laughs> like a funny. mess. But um, in the big picture, you know, I went through. Uh, I was I was a really good athlete, so that kind of prevailed. I didn't really drink on 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 uh, when I was playing ball. And uh, you played football. I played football and I played baseball. I went into uh, playing, um, you know, going to college and following up with baseball after college, and playing for some uh, some some farm systems. I played for uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jays farm system. No when way! I my, when I was in my early twenties, and um, and it wasn't until I was about twenty one years old I came home, um, you know, in between a you know party, and it, it, the best part about going to I went to Miami University. The best part about Miami University was that the the girls. The drugs and the money that they threw our way when i was uh when I was attending there it was back in the early nineties and um back in the early nineties it was just a big giant party.
0: What did it look like
1: it looked like
0: and um, who's throwing drugs your way and what <clears throat> drugs are they throwing you coke
1: yeah coke well, anything I wanted, but mostly coke down there there were the coke wasn't as good as the coke up here uh I noticed that most of the coke would get shipped to New York and then it would like Get stomped on all the way back to Florida but what was good was like the ecstasy and like um you know the 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 Mescaline and the acid and all that shit that you know to really put your, your mind at ease, you know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> did you know that? Uh, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I might do that from sure. Did you know that Dopey was just rated one of the top five podcasts about mushroom tripping?
1: Oh, really? I so, loved mushrooms, that so was a good time. Do
0: you, did you, were you, you were, I didn't know you tripped a bunch,
1: yeah, I did. You know, when I was in my uh, my teens into my early 20s, I, I we, we, you know, we, we did everything. Like I said, it started with a drink for me and ended with a drink, but inside it was like a no-holds-ball cage match. It was, it was a nonstop party in my head, and, and I can never get enough, never get enough, never get enough. So Anyway, when I was done, I was done playing ball because they kindly asked me to leave because of my drinking and drugging. And what happened was I came home to play uh, flag football with some friends that blew up my knee, and uh, I that was from starting to, uh, to be testing the water. On the bench and that was to cut my contract, and I came home about twenty two years old, and I thought my life was over and that's when my drinking and drugging really took over. you know from that point till I was twenty seven um like I said, it was nonstop nonstop and and I remember <clears throat> I'll branch back real quick because I, I got to share this feel one, free this these this guys can thing. handle it I, we
0: we need tangents' <laughs> There's and, one thing yeah. was
1: um when I was about eight years old, I went to a coma for a surgery that I had nothing major, but uh I went to a coma, and I wound up having this Lacking this enzyme fuel to, to break down certain drugs. And I remember when I was about four, 13, 14 years old, my mom had um, said to me, <clears throat> You can't do certain drugs. My mom, however, was a speedhead like I eventually turned into. Uh, but she, uh, she said, You can't do cocaine and she like feared it in my way of saying that I couldn't When you're 13, she's I mean, like 14. Yeah, I was like 14, 15, but we were already <laughs> openly talking about taking okay. drugs. It's, you know, my mom, my parents were went to Woodstock. They were in the 60s, so there was drugs all the time, you know. Nothing major, just, you know, weed and stuff at this point, but what I'm I'm telling you this is because when I was in my teens and my 20s, I did all the acids and I did all the shrooms and I did I didn't touch cocaine at this point. I wouldn't touch it because it was kind of like fear. Well, all my friends were doing it, and my friends knew that I was, uh, they used to call me chemically imbalanced because I was just a complete animal. You know? <laughs> and, um, so they would say, oh, no, no, don't give any to Gary. He's chemically Well, imbalanced. what would you do?
0: Why would they say that?
1: Well, because, you know, like I, I, like I remember this, we, I used to do ketamine, sniff ketamine and, and I used to when I did ket when I did I'll give you an example when I would smoke weed it would be like I was on cocaine I'd be like a, a, a raging bull through th- running through walls when I did ketamine rather than being like drunk and flat on my ass like some of my friends were I would be putting my head through walls and I'd be like slamming <laughs> people down and, and just going absolutely ballistic. Let me like, ask you something. Hold on, slow down for a second. Sure.
0: When you're do- <laughs> where where did you do ketamine for the first time and how did it how did it get to you? Uh, well, I knew I couldn't do
1: cocaine. So my buddy's like He knew I liked to drink So he's like Listen, this is like Drinking, bro It's like a tranquilizer It's nothing Just uh, sniff a little bit of this And I was like Alright, cool You know I think I was in I think it was, it was The summertime uh, Maybe Mid-90s Something like that It was out in um, The beach bar Or someplace in the Hamptons On uh, the east end And I remember So you were like In your late teens I was in my late teens Yeah, late teens It right. was like bouncing back Maybe 18, 19 Whatever it was And uh, I was bouncing back Maybe 17 um, I was bouncing back, and I remember, you know, being on ketamine and fighting, trying to fight every bouncer in the place because I was just completely out of my mind. Meanwhile, that wasn't normally the kind of person I was. So when I added these things to my system, I became like this absolute beast. Hence the chemical imbalance. Remember we talking about that a minute? I did. <laughs> so my friends, when it came to certain drugs, they were like, "Listen, don't let Garrett have any because." He's got a little bit of a chemical imbalance. Because they knew you were unpredictable. They, they, they didn't knew know what I didn't. Was they happen. didn't know. It was almost like, um, you know, uh, I couldn't guarantee my outcome when I when I entered anything into my system. Alcohol, I could pretty much tame the person I was becoming. I was kind of happy-go-lucky drunk, but then I would hit like a switch, and it would just be like craziness. Um, but the ketamine really threw me over the edge. But the reason why I shared that little blip because. When I came home from uh from from losing down in um down in uh I was in Knoxville Tennessee where I was playing ball. When I came home back to New York uh, from that episode um of getting released from the team, they um the first thing I wanted to do was cocaine. And uh, the funniest part about that was I went and got a you know the, the the our drug dealer gave us like a like a gram or whatever. And I remember blasting my first line, and I remember the feeling that would come over me, and the first thought. I could think of was, man. How am I going to get more of that?
0: How, how do I, I
1: stay there? How do I stay there? Yeah. And the second feeling, the second thought that went through my mind was, man, these people were lying to me this whole fucking time. You know, meaning like, what? Mean- meaning my mom told me I could die if I take this shit.
0: But do you think your mom said it because she knew that the second it hit you, you would get that? First I don't feeling? know.
1: I don't know if that was the fact that my mom was really trying to protect me, or my mom knew she liked. Doing that stuff. So I don't know if she, you know, it was like sort of that kind of thing. So in the big picture, you know, she she didn't party when we were young. My mom only drank, you know. She partied, you know, well before we had kids. Uh, well, before she had kids. Right. And um, <clears throat> so my mom was, was you know, a, a, a good person. It was just she she knew that that's what, what she liked to do. So she knew, she saw a lot in me and her. So she knew that I was going to kind of follow that path. It could have been that or it could have been truly uh, that, She wasn't sure if I was going to live it, you know, in the big picture. Because I was eight years old when I went to that coma. I got hit with a baseball in the face. I was pitching to my coach, and he smashed me in the face. Wow. And I had to go a minor surgery, just reconstructive eye sockets and nose. It was like a half-hour surgery, but I'm allergic to this anesthesia. So what it did is it put me into a coma, and they told my mom that I I might not. So at that present moment, that was a fear that she always had, and she didn't want me to, you know, obviously ever die in her, you know. And um, Anyway, so... uh, getting back to that the first drug i did was cocaine and then forget it everything else after that i remember um i remember there was times where i would i would pick up 10 20 30 ecstasy piles of cocaine i used to love going to uh to harlem and pick up like a 3 milliliter bottle of liquid dust just dip my uh liquid
0: pcp liquid
1: pcp yeah and dip my uh my cigarette my uh, Newport light into the top And let the juice just run up
0: Did they bit. call it a wooly? What did you call know. it? A, a just, cigarette yeah. dipped in PCP yeah. Is it a wooly? Oh, that's a, that's I don't know I, I, think I don't know something. I don't
1: remember I called, So where I are you it buying?
0: Heaven. dude? I called it heaven Where <laughs> are you buying liquid PCP in Harlem? In Harlem You used to have a spot?
1: 123rd, um, yeah, in Harlem And um I remember going with my drug dealer and um With my buddy who was my drug dealer And he used to go get it And I remember I, He was a uh a real jacked up Spanish dude, and I was, a, you know, a white kid. And he got
2: out,
1: of, <laughs> you uh, know, in Harlem at the in the nineties. wasn't really <clears throat> it, Cl- Bill Clinton wasn't there yet. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, it wasn't. It there wasn't all white yeah. people in the neighborhood. And um, <clears throat> he went outside. And he was Spanish, and he knew most people. He was there a lot. And I cracked the door open, and he looked at me. He's like, "What the fuck do you think you're doing? Get the f back in the car and just." He was looking. There. He was looking out. <laughs> for he, you. he was looking out for me, you know. And he's like, "Yo, you can't get out." Oh and I and I went there numerous amount of times after that and uh and I would just stay in the car and just he'd do his thing and he'd come back and we'd bail out of that. What
0: made you want like what like how did you decide I'm gonna get liquid PCP? <laughs> like,
1: well we I we, we always used to get it. That, dust that was, was the thing. Yeah, it was like that was something that I really liked. That
0: was doing. the one drug I never did, was dust.
1: Yeah, dust um Dust was, uh, dust was like LSD. It was like the same thing, but dust used to make you feel like you're a thousand pounds walking on like a, a cloud of marsh. So it was like it was like that feeling. I remember OD'ing on it one time, and I remember I shrunk down to this little tiny little nothing thing, and I thought the world was just going to close out on me. And um, I was inside a house in in uh, southern um, Long Island. And, uh, it, the whole world closed in. I me, and everybody was looking like gigantic. And I was this little being, and I was closing, 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 closing until my eyes just almost shut. And then I slowly came back out of it and I thought I was, I was dead. most part. And I remember coming out of it and standing back up, walking into the room, dipping a new cigarette in there, lighting that bitch back up. And <laughs> it, you know, cause that's just what we do. You know, like it's, I was like, wow, that was an amazing feeling. Let me try to do that again. Right. You know, push it right to the brinks, right to the brinks, you know, and, uh,
0: so when you're on these paths, like, did you find you were doing coke every day? You were doing dust every day? Was it no. a weekend thing? How did you use? Yeah, what was no. the using like?
1: Um, at this, at this moment, before my 20s, before, before my 20s, uh, I wasn't using every single day. It was just a weekend thing after we played ball, after we partied, you know, girls, whatever. But in my, uh, after I came home from, uh, from partying, it wasn't an everyday thing. I wasn't in every single day. Drug addict Alcoholic Uh, I partied All weekend It turned into like A Thursday Through the weekend Then it turned Wednesday Through the weekend Then you know Different nights I would just drink But cocaine would call me Call my name Every couple weeks That's how cocaine Used to call my name And it would call me In a different Different aspects I would smell it in the air. Somebody would say something. A little keynote would happen. and, And then my mindset would just click, and that's all I thought about. And then I had to have it. It's just like anything else. I had to have it. And uh, then I would do it. I would do it for four or five days straight. You know, I'd get to a point where I couldn't sniff anymore. I would just start <sighs> sucking it through my mouth because I had to get it into my system. I, at this point, I, I never shot it or anything like that. But I was I was trying to put it in cigarettes. I was trying to put it in pipes. I was trying to smoke it. Then I met this guy that was freebasing it. I started smoking freebase, uh, stuff like that. But um, I remember days on this crap. And I would party it so hard and so long that I would go weeks without... Ever want to touch it again? You know, it, it would be like the lie detector test. Like I would, I, so I would pass a lie detector test for weeks, saying I will never touch that shit again. Then three, four, five weeks later, something will call my name. Something would grab
0: me on. When something you would, would get up. high on coke, would you need something to
1: come off of it with? Yeah, I would. I would get Xanax bars. Um, you know, uh, I remember taking like half bottles of Tylenol PM. And right, shit anything, anything come just just to come down off that. Down, you know?
0: And you think you're done. Because when, when you're done, you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And, then, and then it starts up again. And then
1: it starts up, yep. So then at that point, I would start doing all the things. And I remember there would be times. I remember, that's I was telling you before. I, I would go out with like 10, 15, 20 hits of ecstasy and bottles of coke. And... I, Liquid dust And we were going to the city And I remember one time I, would, I was on the way to the city And so I guess I blacked out Or something And I remember waking up In Chicago
0: and, So, um, so you were going and to Manhattan
1: I was going Manhattan your... to Manhattan To party at the You know The the tunnel Or the limelight Or, or, sure. or one of these places okay. and, um, And I wound up I must have get on a plane. I know I didn't drive because it was like not only a couple of days Dude, later, this is like the right? crazy, that's
0: kind of ridiculous. You're yeah, going to Manhattan and you wind bananas. up on it's a plane bananas. to Chicago. And I
1: probably had a great time. I just don't remember got <laughs> to think of it. But the point is, like, I, you know, like, I used to laugh with my buddies and they'd be like, oh, you know, let's get ecstasy. And they wanted to get like one pill. And I'd be like, what does one pill do for anybody, right? I'd be like, two, you know, two at a time, tick. Like popping tic tacs, you know? And uh, two would start, then two more would be an hour later, and two more would be an hour after that. You just don't
0: want it to stop. I don't
1: want it to stop. and, And yet, I could never get to the point where I wanted to be, but I was always chasing something, you know? Or if I hit a moment, it would be so far gone that I would be past that point and I'd have to get something else to either bring me back up or bring me back down. It was never a comfortable being, but for some reason, my mind always thought that it was the best time ever best time ever or it could be it could be i I
0: want the best time ever this time time if i if i have this i have i used to think that i'd have the chance of unlocking the best time ever if i had the right fucking mix and it never fucking came you know what i mean or maybe you think it comes yep um, so, where did the anger sit in all that stuff? So
1: the anger would sit like at this point. I don't really know if I was that angry. I do know that I was fear based. So basically, um, <clears throat> I used to get into a lot of fistfights with a lot of guys because I was fear based. So it'd be like anger. So like, let's say if you, if I bump shoulders with somebody and wherever I was, I would turn around and violently punch them as hard as I can because I didn't want them to punch me first, you know, because I was fearful. So that's when my anger would kick in. But for the most part, most of the time I was I was happy. Like then a broken <laughs> right. shoe race would happen and then forget. It was it be it would be the minorest thing. Like, forget if I was out with a girlfriend, it, it would be a nightmare. Because every time I went with somebody that I felt like I needed some kind of protection, I would just be like that on the prowl, like my my uh like if I was uh if I was a lion, my 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 mange would be flared up the entire time, you know, and I'd be I'd be scanning the horizon, I'd be checking checking the exits, seeing who would be a problem, seeing who wouldn't be a problem, and the whole time it would just be riddled in fear, which I ra- ran into anger, and like at that point, if somebody even like looked in my direction, I would be like pouncing on him like a like a lion on prey, and and nobody deserves that kind of wrath. But inside, in, truly inside me, I thought. That was living You know what I mean I thought that was living And and part of the reason Why I did so many Drank so much And drug so much Is to not feel That fear anymore You know And and sometimes I wouldn't feel it, and sometimes it would be so drastic that it would riddle my whole, every ounce of my being. You know. So you
0: show up someplace and you size up the room. The,
1: everybody in the place.
0: You know, and you saw, uh, you know, and, and you see, you see, it's been easy for me because I know that I can't take anybody. So when I <laughs> when I walk into a place, I'm like, well, I can't yeah. deal with that guy. I can't deal with that guy. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll be all right. I, I figure I'll get through this thing somehow. Um, when you and why do you think you had that pressure on you, like? Like this pressure to size up the room, or who can I deal with? Who can I deal with? Like, what do you think the origin of that was?
1: Uh, well, you know, when you're in that mindset, there's nobody that can stop you in your mind. You know, it's like if you felt like the way I felt, it was it was it was like nonstop. Like, and you know, there's one thing my old man taught me was my worth ethic. Meaning, I always. He taught me to always be the hardest working man in the room no matter what I did. So no matter what it was, I would always do whatever I got to do to win, you know, right. to win. So I, you know, it, it was like a, a f- competitive, thing. it was a competitive thing throughout. And, you know, and I trained from when I was a young kid and, and, um, and, and, and that's how I would portray my, like, that's would be, you know, like my claim to fame would be like, I could beat people up or I could do this or I do that and. And you know, like, and 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 it wasn't an honorable thing. I'm just saying that's what it was. And and I thought it was like a good thing and, until like I was like, I don't, you know, I didn't want to be this person anymore. And I was just kind of, you know, what the worst part about that is when you when you do fight a bunch of people and you're constantly looking over your shoulder for somebody else to fight you. You know what I mean? And, you, and so it's constantly like living in, like you said, living in that fear. So I was constantly like looking over my shoulder. Plus, you know, like on top of that how many people did i screw over from the drinking and drugs and you know constantly looking over my shoulder to see who was there to to, to try to take me down and you what, what I mean? unfortunate
0: might have bumped into you and yeah. then went down you yeah, know, know, who I did know. not
1: want to fuck yeah. with you in the first
0: place yeah. i can only imagine me walking into you in some club and yeah. like i didn't you I know would,
1: yeah, yeah i been be and not not saying that i would do it i might be like oh my bad i'm super sorry but then there might be a day where i'm like you know, whatever, you know, it's Dude, just it's, it when did it
0: when did it turn like to a place where you were like miserable? Like when when did that start to I show itself? 20,
1: I was about 25, 25, 26, where uh, where I became it became very miserable of an existence. And um, and <clears throat> like I said, the drugs were just weren't that rampant. I remember that I did heroin one time and um i was inside the tunnel i'll share this story briefly because um this is a dopey nation but at least you guys can uh i can identify with one story with her. um it was um it was like a tuesday oh, no no I don't i'm, know I'm on the edge of my seat <laughs> over here i don't know what day it was but um what i'm saying is i did inside the tunnel and i wanted a bag of a, a 40 bag of uh of coke and they gave me a 40 bag of heroin and um i sniffed it like it was a bag of coke oh, it was yeah. the first time i ever did it and um, and I started bleeding from my nose, my mouth, everywhere. I started throwing it was up. Total pulp, it was, pulp uh, fiction it was moment. And the bouncers grabbed me inside the tunnel. If you have ever been inside the tunnel, in Manhattan, it's a bouncers world in there. And you know you don't mess with them. You don't do nothing. It's there. Run the show. They're the head dealers. They they do everything. You know, if you want a drug, you go to them. Um. <clears throat> anyway, so they uh, they grab me. They. They threw me in the bathroom. They beat the living daylights out of me. They dunked my head in the toilet. They fucked me up. And then on top of it. As
0: soon as you're like overdosing on heroin, basically. And they decide they're going to kick the shit out of you because of it.
1: And then they threw me out the back door. And like, I was in like a t-shirt, sweaty, bloody mess. You know, and, um, and that, that was my heroin, you know, episode. (laughs) And like Neil said, I never really wanted to do heroin again after that. But, um. Well, it also didn't suit your your brain chemistry or no, your body it chemistry.
0: Didn't. It's it like didn't. that's how it always works yeah, with this it, stuff. It
1: didn't. It did. I didn't really care for the downers. I was a tequila, cocaine kind of a guy. Dude, All do you want to hear something crazy?
0: Rap. I don't mean to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. I just do that sometimes. Yeah. I don't think you know this. When I was a kid, when I was twenty one, I got a job to be a private eye. In the tunnel and the really? limelight. Wow. It was after Peter Gation had gotten busted, yeah, and they hired us to look for drugs. Wow, that was my job. So I That's knew hilarious. it was it was absurd, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so so like I was Did there. Did you find any? Yeah, but,
1: but I was I, <laughs> I was a drug, a I was a drug
0: addict. You know <laughs> so what I mean? I was not the right person to be hired to do this. But I just think it's funny. You yeah,
1: know? it was funny um, in the way that the bounces were in, But I caught up at every every single one of those bounces that got me in the room and and I gave them what they deserved. Wait, what happened? I Wait, hold on. Like Let I, me
0: hear the revenge <laughs> story. What's the revenge story with the with the I got up with every one of them. You um, went back?
1: I went back, and I didn't catch him in the club because you can't really do that inside the club. But, but I caught every single one of them outside, and I took care of them the way I felt fit you
0: know and it's like that kill bill you yeah. like made a list of these people that wronged you yeah, on heroin like, it and you like, went after it was like them.
1: resentful you know like resentment like they how many how long did it take you to fucking catch just a, a couple job? months maybe cuz i was sober a couple years later so it wasn't <laughs> long you know like That's but insane. they i knew they worked every weekend i knew who they were I, I used to go there all the time some of them i knew some of them some of them stepped out they didn't want to have anything to do with it so those guys I didn't have any problems with. It was the the, the, it was a small handful, two or three, four maybe. How did you know if you were so fucked up on dope? I I was not that fucked up, and I I've been back there, and I know who they were. You you were like you were like kind of
0: making sense of your dream sort of moment. So
1: it is what it is, but uh, but that was a long time. Shit, I've been sober a long time. Does it piss
0: you off now? I see you
1: get you little you know jumpy. No, no, no. I'm okay with it now. I'm okay with the fact that they did what they had to do. I mean, I'm not okay with the fact that they and there was probably many more people that they have done that. Well, for. they're idiot fucking kids too. You yeah, know, abusing
0: what power, you know, whatever.
1: And you know, and, and there's been plenty of times where I've done that too. Like what you were saying, if somebody bumped into me. I, you know, I, I did something that I shouldn't have done. You know, and and there was plenty. Like you know, as I went through my steps and I and I, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, but as I went through the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. A lot of that stuff was on my was on my step four. A lot of that stuff was on my step nine. That I need to make those amends to those people. You know, not quite that I'm ever going to make the amends to that. Did you aspect. ever go back and find no, no, the no, 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 bouncers right. of the the, limelight? the amends? The amends that I had to make well, through my direction of my sponsor was was you know never, you know do that again to somebody else. You know walk the path that you're supposed to be walking today. You know. And that's where the love kicks in what we were talking about But before
0: right we there. get to the love, I wanna to get to okay. this transition. Because <laughs> so, we're fucking lost in the wilderness here. Yeah. You know? Are we good? Yeah, we're yeah. good with this?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when um this was when I was about 25, 26. And I remember uh, when I turned about 26, I started, 26 ish, I started dating this girl. And she was like a, a real good girl. You know, it wasn't like the girls I used to date. And um, she was a sweetheart, came from a great family, didn't drink, didn't drink a, a little. It was the summer, it was my uh, 26 and t- turned to 27 and it was my last year active and i was with this this lady and uh this beautiful woman and um she basically had enough of me because my nonsense was just all about partying and and, um, <clears throat> the summer of, uh, 2003 was, uh, was when this happened and she, um, wanted nothing to do with me. So I would come in at the end of the summer. She was my drinking buddy in the summertime. You know, I would, I was that guy that would go up and buy everyone in the world drinks. I, I'd spend my money on people I didn't really like, you know what I'm saying? Can you identify about that? So I, I would, I would go up and be this big shot, spend all my paychecks, spend all my money on these people that I didn't really care for just so they would like me more. That's kind of how my drinking went. And, um, uh, but what I would do is I would go up and get everybody drinks. Bottom line, I would do that is so that I could get a couple extra shots. You know, if I'm going up to get you a drink, I'm going to buy you a drink, me a drink, and I'm going to pound out two shots, you know, because any bar that I drank and I knew the bartenders, so they always gave me shit for free. So, uh, by the end of the night, I, you know, if, you, if we had three or four drinks together, I had about 15 drinks by myself. You know right. what I mean? So, you know, and, and, and I would still hold my liquor fairly well because, you know, when I didn't, I'd just sniff a line or two and I'd be right back to where I needed to be. You right. Know?
0: You had this thing worked out in your head. So by the end of the
1: summer, um, this woman wanted zero to do with me. She didn't want to drink anymore. It's time to get back to reality. Summer's over.
0: and Get back to work. Whatever. And there was
1: no reality for me. It was just it was summer all the time, you know. It was a party all the time, and uh, I remember my friends would come home from college or whatever, and they'd party like rock stars, like right along the same side of me. And then they would go home and recover for two weeks. When I got sober, they're like, "Wait, you didn't stop after we left?" And I was like, uh, "Stop what? <laughs> no, I didn't stop. But just the next, it was just the next day. We just kept on going, you know. And they were like, "No, man, we stopped. We didn't." I didn't touch booze because they or, didn't have what we have. They didn't have what we have. Yeah. They, uh, however, they were heavy drinkers and they could even drug, but they didn't have that 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 obsessive mindset and uh, that uh, that that uh, completely addictive personality and, and uh, the obsession to to just drink and drug. So now was it was, uh, it was cr- coming into Christmas time and um and this girl I was trying to just drag her along like a hostage kind of deal and um and she would hang out me not hang on me. I'll go to her family functions I would get completely obliterated she'd be embarrassed and she wanted nothing to do with me Christmas came I was alone I remember going to my mom's house on Christmas and um and I was a mess I just recently saw a picture of me that year and I just was like disaster man eye sockets you know just like black and blue not from fights or anything just from not sleeping not you know partying just, just looking like complete dog shit right and then uh and then January came along. It was I was trying to get sober through the Christmas holiday on my on my own, uh, clean and sober, and I couldn't do it. I just kept on falling back, and I would fall back on on uh, on drinking. Drinking was my was my main thing, and and I would fall back on drinking. As soon as I drank, it would go right into the drugs again, you know. And um, so then finally, January tenth um, <clears throat> of two thousand four was my I, I, I had I, I wind up getting that girl to come back to my house to, to sleep over my house. She was living out of, uh, she, I think she was living in Staten Island or Jersey at the time. And I got her to conjure into staying at my house for a time. And it was about ten thirty at night. And I remember leaving a, 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 a bar with a bunch of friends and they all were going home, you know, and I wasn't done drinking, you know, I had to go and you know, the old, I have to go say hi to a friend of mine. I wound up coming home a day later. And, um, and this is where the, this is where my story ends. Um, it was typical, like a regular, everyday drunk or dr- drink, and I was blasting some coke, and like we were talking about before, I had to come down off it, so I wound up going back to a hotel room with some guy I just met, had some Xanax, had the this, had some weed, and we were doing all this shit, and um, I left there, and, and uh, it was Sunday morning now, and back in 04, you couldn't, in New York, you couldn't buy booze before 12 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Now, sure. Apparently now, kids today can... Do anything they want. I guess they're enabling the shit out of these kids. Today. No kidding. <laughs> so anyway, they uh <clears throat> we um I knew the I knew the seven eleven attendance. I would drop a twenty on the counter and what he would do for me would he put a twelve pack of of bud, bud light, whatever I was drinking, out the back door, and I'd walk around the back. We had my twelve pack and I go home. I live right behind seven eleven. I go upstairs, it's about seven o'clock in the morning now, and um I remember walking up the stairs, creeping up the stairs, going to sit on my couch, and I still was was Fucked up and I still had to come down Off whatever I was doing So I would be putting a pillow over the top of these beer cans And cracking open these beer cans And I was drinking these things Because I still needed to have more and more and more And at that present moment um, This woman That I had sleepover creeps around the corner that now I've been off and on with for about almost a year now. And she creeps around the corner and she gave me this look that I've probably seen a thousand times before. But this this one time, it set me like uh like a stonehenge. You know, I looked at her and I was like she and the old look that you're like, You fucking piece of shit. You did this again, you did this again. And I was like, fuck. And I looked at her, and and I just couldn't stop. And she got a ride. I forget what happened. She wanted zero to do with me. And I remember the next day I had to miss work. And I was all banged up, and um, it was a Tuesday. You know, another uh, Tuesday. <clears throat> another Tuesday. It's funny. Um, it, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not us. Drug addicts, alcoholics aren't too keen on Mondays. You know, Mondays are tough for us to get <laughs> to get back to work on a Monday. So Tuesdays, we always are. We're pretty good with Tuesdays. But anyway, I show up to work on Tuesday, and I remember walking into this office. I had just lost a—I uh, was a—I was a—an um, operator in Manhattan, a uh, union operator running heavy equipment, and. I lost it not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time. I showed up high and drunk on the job, running cranes in the city.
0: That's great. <clears throat> yeah, that's it's, how it's you want your that's how you time. want your crane yeah. operators. It's
1: a good time. So you know the first two times they're like, "Listen, just go sit down, sober up. We'll put you back on tomorrow." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah okay." The third time they're like, "Nope, that's it." You Dude, it.
0: how many fucked up crane operators do you think uh, are in the head right now? They're I, all.
1: I can't say that. No, I wouldn't. You know. That's I kinda, hope. you think they're dipping <laughs> their cigarettes in yeah, liquid PCP before they operate the crane? Yeah, but anyway, that's that's a no-no. You can't. You can't get away with anything
0: nowadays thank god
1: shit. but That's, back then in a, right. in a, in a, in a, it was
0: still a little bit it was still off you know, the beaten yeah, path. yeah.
1: and um <clears throat> you know but then um the next day I, I, i'm working for this guy making no money and um he wound up being sober and i remember going in on tuesday and, and uh and i was like just destroyed beat up and just done with life you know and um and he looked at me he's like uh he goes what's going on and uh, I was like, oh, man, you know, and I I remember, I don't know if my eyes were tearing out, whatever the case may be. I just knew I was just completely bankrupt with everything. I had no money, no nothing, you know, like uh, no spiritual path. My car got repo. I mean, it was I was done, just done, done, you know, and uh, it wasn't was, a party. You were fucked. I was I was done. It was over. It was over. And he goes, why don't you come meet a couple of friends of mine tonight? I didn't think nothing of it. I was like, all right, yeah, no problem. At this point, I was willing to do anything, right? You I, wanted to get better? I wanted you, 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 want to found feel yourself, better. You
0: found yourself in that moment.
1: I wanted to feel better. So he brought me to an Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never heard about Alcoholics Anonymous before. Did he tell you he was going to bring no. you to that? No, he just said, why don't you come meet a couple friends? Of my th-? I, however, knew that he used to be a drunk and right. he doesn't drink anymore. Right. I knew that and he had the successful business and he was, he was doing well for himself. Uh, I didn't know the extent of it, but I did know I was working for him about a month or so and um and he said, Why don't you come meet Cup Friends? With? So I sat in my first A meeting, I was in the back of the room like a like an, a great newcomer does, you know, <laughs> in death row in the back, the last row. <laughs> so I was sitting in the back and It's a good view from back. Yeah, then. exactly I see everybody. Yeah, you I see know what everybody's doing. <laughs> you, you know you can take this guy, yeah, this guy, exactly. whatever else. Yeah, yeah, still riddled with fear, uh-huh. not knowing which way I was up, which way I was down, but I was willing to do whatever it took. To just feel better for a brief second. That's where I was in my life. And um, he looked at me. And uh, I thought he told the speaker to tell my story. Because the speaker started sharing. I felt like he told exactly my story. And uh, right down to the T. Exactly what happened to me. Everything I did. you know, Everything. With the sports. With the school. With everything. and um, And basically... What I, could ident- what I could realize t- today was that I was identifying with him from day one. I could identify with another alcoholic. It was the first time I could hear somebody, feel somebody, and, and see somebody. And, and, and it was something. And what he would share for me that present moment was his experience, his strength, and his hope. And what happened is he, this is the life he's living today. And before, he shared about what it was like. That's where I was at. He shared about what he did to get sober. And he shared about his hope to what he does today to stay sober. However, I'd never saw that guy again. It's weird never. how that were ever. I, I don't even know what he was. And you were like. still going to that meeting. And I was sure. still going to that meeting, and he was from out of town or something, but he, he shared something. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Well, the most amazing thing to me
0: about this is like, I, I was around recovery for a million years while I was using. You know, I'd pop in, I'd see something, I'd leave, whatever. You go to your first
1: meeting, and you were fucking ready. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that, you know, um, you know, nowhere in our literature, nowhere in, in anything, anything that we talk about, does it say you have to test the waters again. Nowhere. You know, it doesn't say, oh, go back out there and have at it. You know, it's, it's better out there or none of that shit. It says from this day forward, you too may ha- find an easier, softer way. What does it say about the, if you want to try uh
0: try drinking go drink whatever oh, like, what's uh, that like thing like um
1: like uh social oh, yeah they do however say something along those lines like go try to have one go try to control your drink yeah, go try, try control to socialize right, right, right. have some social right. go go try to drink a couple and stop abruptly you know it doesn't work basically if you think that you need to try that um uh, you have already tried that a thousand times before because if you're anything like I am I have tried that a billion times. I've tried doing one key bump cocaine. I've tried doing one pill of ecstasy. I've tried doing one, one cigarette of one PCP liquid <laughs> death. I've tried doing one beer. I've tried doing one shot of vodka. I tried it all, and none, nothing, nothing works because it didn't matter – like, what I found out over time that it had nothing to do with the alcohol and the drugs. Like, it had everything to do with me. I used all that stuff just to get out of myself. I couldn't get out of my own way. So, with me using that stuff, it gave me a sense of comfort and, and good feeling inside me. And, and 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 when it wore off, I was still left with me. Right. You know? and, and so, Let me and, ask you this, though,
0: because you are incredibly rebellious. You are incredibly, like... Uh, what's the word? Uh, you, 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 you Devishly are, handsome? Well, very handsome, <laughs> but that's not the word I was looking for. <laughs> well, you're defiant. You know, yeah, you're defiant, defiant yeah, in every situation, sure. and yet you go to a meeting and you catch it, and then you're like... Well, I, I didn't wa- catch it. I, I, how difficult... Like, I, know, I, it still difficult. It I still struggle. I still struggle with, the, with the sticking with it and believing it
1: and saying... You know well, how I well, am. What, like, well, uh, what had happened to me was my first few years... Because of those early recovery moments, I was riding. I I hate to say like it was a pink cloud, but it wasn't. My first year, maybe, I had some pink cloud moments because you remove alcohol from me, and it was people around me who loved me. And you still had the girl. And I still... Well, no. I didn't have the girl. The girl didn't come back for about eight, nine months. She, you know, had... I had to figure out who Garrett was for a little while. However, what had happened to me was I removed drink and drug from me, and it started like kind of clearing up the path. It was almost like driving down the window on a really cold day and your and your windshield frosted over, but you could see a little hole out of the sure. bottom of the window and you still got to get to wherever you got to get to. So you're like rampant driving like crazy person. This is kind of how my, my life was at the moment. I could see some clearance and I wanted more of it. But I wasn't really willing to do all the work because at this present moment, I was feeling good. Everything was good. I was getting money back. I was... I was becoming successful again. I got a truck again. I got a place to live in. I, my girl was slowly talking to me again. Like my mom didn't hide a pocketbook anymore. You know, like, excuse me, major things would happen. And, um, and I thought that that was good enough, right? That was good enough. I was about four or five years sober and, um, and I slowly stopped going to meetings. So I thought I was good enough. And I thought what I had was going to get me through whatever it was going to get me through. <clears throat> and, um, about five years, so five, six years sober, my, uh, I, I I wind up not talking to my father for a couple years. We kind of drifted our own ways because uh, we butted heads. He was... Me and him were, like, so alike. He was an alcoholic, whatever, and we just kind of drifted our own ways. But path. he never got recovered. He He did... But um, but he didn't, you know, he, he, he got, I think he had a bunch of Deewee, so he had to go to AA for a while, and, but he was always smoking weed, I don't, you know, I, I don't know his path, all I do know is he tried it, and it didn't work for him, because he never worked the program, and what had happened was, when I was working the program, he had come to me, he's like, that fucking AA bullshit, that doesn't work you know, you need to buckle up. And he was from the old school, German. And he would be like, listen, we take care of our own thing. If, if there's a problem, we take care of it. Right. You know, we don't ask nobody for help. Blah, 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 blah. Did that fuck you up in AA? No, no, because I distanced myself from him. You are like,
0: whatever he did, I'm going to do yeah, the other exactly. thing. exactly.
1: Whatever, however he raised his children, I'm going to do it different You know, but whatever. The point is, I stopped talking to him for about three or four years, and he wound up dying when I was about five, six years old with cancer. Oh, man. And um, I don't say it because I'm looking for the old man's. I say it because... That, what he did for me, that present moment saved my life. I was going nowhere quickly, fast. Uh, at that present moment, I was married. I had a, I had a son, and my life, I was angry. I, all my character defects had come back because I didn't really do the work that it took to get me so I would case sober. I was going to like one minute a month at this point, uh, every few weeks. And then finally, my dad died. And, I would, and what I did know that if my, they told me from early on, if my ass fell off, pick my ass up, put it in a bag, and get it to a meeting.
2: Right. So I knew
1: if all else fails, get my ass to a meeting. So I went to A AA a meeting. I shared. My dad died. And honestly, I was looking for the, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, I didn't talk to this man for f- three or four years, you know. And um, <clears throat> basically what I was looking for was something to feel better. Like, I, I couldn't find it in... What I was doing be validated ne-
0: in your pain. Be yeah, vali- that y- I was looking
1: for something outside of myself Love to me. make me feel better. Yeah. yeah, and if I didn't find it there, which I did, thank God, um, I was going to drink or drug over it. You know, because I needed something to to take this pain away. I couldn't deal with it on my own anymore. And um, thank God, uh, when I first got sober, I saw this man, and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, he was like a spiritual guru and I looked at him I was newly sober. I'm like, no way can I be around this guy. Now, however...
0: What was his thing? Explain it.
1: He was like a Buddhist... He, he meditated a lot. He was so spiritual. He talked about God. He talked about love. He talked about all these things where I was like, whoa, dude, you know, you backed the fuck up. You know, I can't be around you right now. It might wear off and I might get bugged out of something. Right. But the point is, at five or six years sober, when I came back and my dad died, I, tur- I looked over and he was sitting right there. And there was something around him that was glowing. It was something that he had that I really needed.
0: You saw his aura I in this moment? I saw
1: his aura. I saw <laughs> something that I had to have. Yes. You know, and uh, I asked him to be my sponsor. And the next week, he finally took me for a walk, and I walked around the neighborhood, and, um, and he stopped me in my tracks and said, did you ever breathe before? And I was like, yeah, man, I breathe all the whole time, right? And he goes, no, 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 Did you ever truly breathe, slow you down, stop, and just feeling the surroundings and feeling the life and feeling the love? And I was like, no. And he, and he stopped me for a minute, and he had me breathe. And he had me breathe in a way that I felt something come inside me like a white light kind of deal and he, he started showing me how to like slow my mind down for a brief moment and he started explaining to me that the difference between fear and between love you know and he started showing me towards a path where i had missed early in sobriety and once it, he was doing for me again what i could not do for myself so he was like a power greater than myself in that, that aspect
0: so in the, hold on because we have sure. we have a we have an audience mm-hmm. of uh a lot of sick and suffering addicts and alcoholics mm-hmm. who would love to turn the switch from fear to love. Yeah. So, could you give them a little primer in the, in, in sure. what they, what he told you?
1: So basically, he would slow me down and he and he, he share in a way of like um, he. We had to go through some step work, obviously. Um, if you're having, I don't know what what audience we're talking to here, but. Um, in my, There's thousands of people okay. out there. <laughs> in, all my, in my in my experience, uh, I had to find a power greater than myself, which you know today I call love, um, which is in my first couple steps. And then I had to clean house. There was no way in hell I could ever experience any kind of happiness or love or joy inside my heart until I cleaned out the wreckage of my past. I had to clean that house. I had to get rid of it all, and that was the fear. That was the fear riddling me every. Little resentment Every little person Every person I harmed Every sexual uh, Harmful experience Everything that I ever did In my whole entire life I had to get down on paper And I had to share it with somebody And that was the fears Those were fears Were riddling me And those are the exact fears That were gonna make me Drink and drug over again Cause I didn't I never got rid of them Right? I was walking through this path, and yet the outside looked good. I had money in my pocket. I had nice cars. I had a beautiful wife. I, I had a son. Everything was looking great. But you, but you still inside, had the remnants
0: of sickness.
1: Inside, I was, I was, I was like, a, like a deteriorating um, zombie, right? like just falling apart inside. And, and I couldn't understand why until this man stopped me. And first, he had me breathe. And he understood that I couldn't really touch tone the complete spiritual process until... I cleaned the wreckage of my past, which was the fear.
0: Now, in those five years, mm-hmm. or five or four or five years, Six years had yeah. you
1: done step work? I did. I did. I did a step four. I did a step five. I did. I went all through most of my steps. The problem was, my first step four, I kind of cleared out. I, I had the sponsor, and he was like this big jacked up bodybuilder, and I looked up to him in a way of that. I kind of wanted to be just like him. He was good with the girls. He was good with this. He was good with that. But what happened was, I told him a big line of bullshit with my step four. So I told him what I thought he wanted to hear. You
0: didn't want to reveal too much. I
1: didn't want to reveal the deep, dark secrets that had inside me. I mean, I shared about the fight and this because I thought that was what he impressive. Yeah, yeah, impressive. I didn't talk about the real, real hard stuff. You know, the real painful stuff that you know I was bearing inside. You know, the real shit that really racks our fear. Because
0: you, you didn't know? want to reveal that to
1: him, of course not. But then you know? the Buddhist love guy, you were you. He, as soon as he opened up to me, what he did for me was he shared his experience, strength, and hope with me. And it just turns out that he had so many similarities that I had, which I never saw before, because he lives this different life today. Kind of like you and I talk a lot, but it's kind of like the life that I live today. It doesn't even, you wouldn't even know that that was me back in the day because the life I live today, you know, I try to portray a, you know, a, a, good, a grateful, good, a uh, person filled of unconditional love today You know and, um, and that comes from me Clearing the wreckage of my past And with clearing the wreckage of the past I had to do it with another individual To show me my character defects To show me where I went wrong In all these situations To show me how I was harming everybody And not only was I harming everybody I thought the shit that I was doing Was only harming myself And meanwhile It was like a ripple effect When you throw a, a rock into a pond And the ripples just go for hours It affected every everybody you come in contact contact with, with. right? Exactly, and their families, and their families, and their families. You know, um, in the big picture, like uh, you know, obviously the people who I loved more than anything in this world were my parents, my family. uh, Those are the people that got you know ripped through the hardest, right? You know, it's funny how I would treat like a bum on the street with more respect and love than I would treat my own mother, or like the bar
0: you bought the round for, and yeah, your family doesn't get or the
1: or the. The, the drug deal that i was getting my um my liquid dust from yeah of course <laughs> <Liquid> <laughs> i would treat dust. him with more love I would treat more... <laughs> whatever but,
0: happened to that guy yeah um what i also want to know is another thing about your story that i find very interesting is that um there was no relapse
1: no uh as of this moment that is still a yet for me um i say it like that because there if i don't keep it within the day or within the moment sometimes, there too will be a relapse in my story. But for today, you know, I I have a tendency to, to leave it as like a daily reprieve. Like I do so much all day long to make sure my head stays on the path that I'm supposed to be on today. And how did you... I mean, like I think that's really interesting
0: in itself because I I mean, I rely on Garrett for a ton of help and I go through stuff with him all the time. And when we go through something he fucking brings it all the way back every time <laughs> to the 12 steps, no matter what it is. Yeah. And we have to work out whatever the thing is through the steps. Yep. And um, what what amazes me is like you're you. Garrett also talks about like, it's something that makes me uncomfortable at first. The idea of my path versus God's path, which is something I always hated. I hated all this stuff <laughs> because it was just like, it felt it. So it just felt so culty to me mm-hmm. and it felt uncomfortable to me. And um, but I know that you keep dipping instead of dick- dipping your cigarettes back into liquid dust. You dip <laughs> yourself into this spiritual well yeah. that keeps you in that mindset. I yeah. mean, like I get in the car and he's got the the Joe and Charlie tapes on his fucking thing. Yeah. Like he's he's the only thing that fucks him up is he listens to dopey sometimes. <laughs> besides, besides
1: that, he's like true blue yeah. with this stuff. But yeah. but you, but that's the daily reprieve, right? That is, yep. I listen to a lot of different things. Whenever I'm, I, I don't. I don't put the regular radio on that often because not that I can't, I I do it when my wife and my kids are in the car, of course, but when I'm by myself, I I try to get every little ounce of whatever I can just to keep me on that same path, because that same path is what's keeping me with that family. It's what's keeping me happy. It's what's keeping me joyful. It's what's keeping that unconditional love in my heart. And when I feel that stuff, whatever I could do to, 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 to build on that, makes me feel better and makes me feel good inside and and feeling good inside is like a is like a whole different ball game it's something that us as alcoholics and addicts. Uh, never really experienced before and now that I'm experiencing it it's almost like another addiction right you know but but I keep it at bay you know and and, and meaning that you know when I wake up in the morning you know I don't, I don't particularly always like calling it God I just use it as a terminology but I call it love. Uh, love is God for me and what happens is um, <clears throat> I get instantly on my knees and I just kind of ask my man upstairs to show me the path where I'm supposed to be on right and I go into brushing my teeth I get up real early I go to the gym my day is so routine today. But what it does for me is it keeps me on the path that I'm supposed to be on. You know, I don't know what path I I need to be on. I just know where I'm supposed to be today. You know, and, and there's been times like early in this week I hurt my back doing something, you know, playing basketball with my daughter and um <clears throat> I say it because it really it really banged me up and I was talking to my wife yesterday and uh and I was saying, you know, I can't believe this had happened and then some a light bulb went in my head and and I thought to myself, this is not my path. I, I, I actually said that to my wife. I said, "Hun, this is not what was in my card. This, this wasn't my plan. You know, like, all arrogantly, like, like this That's is. That's so funny. You this, hear yeah. yourself talking. I hear myself, and I'm right. like, wait. And I thought to myself, like, what I said was my answer was, it's not my path. And I was like, oh, fuck. It's not my path. And at that present moment, I realized that, you know, like uh, there's a different path for me today. So just slow down. My wife's like this amazing person, right? She, I literally get into traffic and I don't know if you're anything like I am, if somebody cuts me off. I'm really, I'm, I'm literally going to run down their car, rip them out the side door and beat them senselessly. Right. Cause that's what we do is as you know, it's, but today I don't do that. What my wife does when somebody cuts me off, she taps me on the leg and looks at it and she goes, maybe that's God's way of telling you to slow down. And I'm like, son of
2: Right? She got me,
1: but <laughs> well,
0: let me ask you this, right? Like, when something happens, like your back is obviously yeah. disappointing. But like, yep. if I have something happen to me, right? Recently, I've had a couple of things happen that they they bug me. I'm disappointed, sure, and I and I do not consider that it's God's plan. I just say, what? Why isn't this happening when I want it to? I want this to happen now. Why isn't Dopey bigger than Joe Rogan? <laughs> like, what the fuck, you know? And I feel very yeah. like. Like, why am I still fucking serving coleslaw and potatoes out all day? <laughs> and I feel very disappointed, and yeah. I don't, and I, and I don't, like, when do you, do you ever feel that way where you, you forget that it's God's plan, or you, you feel? I do,
1: I do, I feel that way, you know, more often than I like to talk about. Oh, it, let but... me hear, I want to yeah. hear about this stuff, this is good. But, um, what happens is, um, uh, like, when I'm feeling that way. Uh, I realize something. I realize something that pain's my greatest motivator. So when I'm living in those moments, that's me completely living in my fear, right? You, you could agree that when you're right, feeling okay, those I'm moments, with you. I'm with you're you. You're living in the fear, and that's perfectly like what you asked me before how to how to show our audience that the two differences of living in fear and living in love. Now, however, the moment that you realize that it's your pa- that it's not your path and you're trying to control it is the brief moment where you start living in love. That present moment, when you start feeling that moment of, wait, this isn't my path, and or this is my path, this is exactly where God needs me to be today. That present moment, you're okay with wherever your path is.
0: That's the love saying... That's the love. This is okay.
1: Yeah, this is okay, like... Cole saw you doing this today, you know, and and dope is exactly where it's supposed to be today.
0: Well, I think dopey should be like stratospherically be. better and bigger. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean,
1: and like, that's all I'm saying. Like when you're living in a fear, it's never enough. It's never like just like drinking and drugs, man. When I was living in complete riddled with fear, it was never enough. And then finally, like I got sober and I started doing some work, and I started realizing that it was enough. It was enough.
0: What I think you is know? also interesting is that you talked about yourself in the beginning that you're going to fucking go so hard. You're going to outwork everybody, all those things. And I see those things in your recovery. Yeah. You know, like, I, I the meeting that we go to uh, last summer, Garrett was busy working a bunch, and he didn't go as much as he usually goes. And the guys in there are like, this meeting sucks without Garrett. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like, but I'm, I'm saying, like, you you work your ass off. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like yeah. the same principle. And if it does the wrong thing, like when you're a kid, it does the right thing now.
1: Yeah. You know exactly.
0: what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, you go, and also, like, you're so available to so many people. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. And uh, I think... Uh,
1: My path is to help others today. That's this, I realized.
0: This is the most... Mm fucking twelve step of an episode I think we've ever had.
1: Yeah, well, that's good. Does Hopefully. it make you feel
0: comfortable or uncomfortable? Yeah,
1: no, I, I feel comfortable talking about my recovery. I feel comfortable talking about where my path is today. Um, I feel, co- you know what makes me feel uncomfortable is talking about the person I used to be.
0: Yeah.
1: That still makes me feel a little uncomfortable because, you know, there's still some harm that I've, I've i I've really doing a lot of the things that I have done in my path. I harmed a lot of people and I harmed me severely and you know the person i'm trying to be today is nothing that that person was then you know and it's almost like it almost could almost make me emotional thinking about it because what happens to me is is i don't want my people today to know that that's who you were who i was but the point is if you don't know who i were who i was to to see my experience then my strength and what i had to do to get to where i'm at and to see the hope that what where it's taking me like this is like you know I don't care how successful you are I don't care about anything all I care about is is your, your what what are you doing today to make sure your recovery is the best it possibly could be because to, what you did yesterday like uh, I heard this saying a while ago taking a shower yesterday is not going to keep you clean today you know and the point is I do this stuff every single day every second of every single day because. I want my recovery to keep on moving forward. I don't want my recovery to stand still. If it stands still, it's actually me moving backwards. It's regression. Yeah.
0: Well, the coolest thing is, like, with all that stuff, and, and like, this is what I try to say on the show when I talk like this, is, like, I love being clean. I love Mm -hmm. being in recovery because there's so many cool things I can do. Like, I wouldn't be able to do anything if I wasn't doing it. Like, and the, the more... I'm capable of like experiencing the more. F- I-, I just like to have fun, yeah. And, and I want to have fun, and I want to experience joy and love, sure. and I want that to be like as rich as it can be. And yeah. I know that the more I'm in touch with getting better and being happier and more joyful, that I can experience more of the stuff I want. Sure, you know, which is where it becomes weird, like selfish versus, yeah. You know, well,
1: whatever. you know, it does. But it, when you when you start experiencing that. You start experiencing all your relationships, not only just you know with your wife and your kids and, and your family and your mom and your dad. You start experiencing it with everybody out there. Like you start, you know, noticing that you know you're holding the door for other people. You start, you know, asking if other people need help outside of the realm of of uh, of of uh, you know. S- Sober people, you know, you don't just we don't, today we are not, not put here just to help out another sober I still, individual. I
0: still don't want to fucking give money to homeless people though. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, I don't I, blame me. you, I, you I, can I, buy buying a hamburger. I'm not buying them a hamburger. <laughs> I'm incredibly resentful of homeless people. Yeah. It's a problem. That's well, all good. Um, although I was, uh, it's
1: progress, not perfection, buddy.
0: I was, I was by, uh, I was in Jamaica yesterday, and I was getting on the Long Island Railroad, and this girl comes up to me, and she looked all fucked up mm-hmm. you know and i looked at her you know and i was like uh and she goes can you spare some change and now i always say no but yeah. for some reason i was like i I looked at her for too long yeah. so i had to give her some money but she was like you know i was gonna take out my recorder and start recording with her because she was like she was gonna <laughs> hey, have hey, hey, the, i want to talk yeah she fine. was gonna have the dopey <laughs> right there um and uh do you find it exciting to be on the greatest recovery podcast, greatest addiction <laughs> podcast that's ever been
1: invented? I do. It's, it's, uh, it's been, it's definitely an experience. And, and I appreciate you guys having me out on this, uh, this podcast. It's, uh, you know, it's even though, um, you know, I look at drugs as a drug as a drug. You know, I don't care what you're doing. If you're doing something to get out of yourself, then there's a situation going on and we need to fix it. So my biggest, my biggest point today is, is, uh, wherever you are in your life, wherever you're doing, whatever you're doing, um, there is help out there. And you know, and David here is is a huge advocate for um, for a lot of these places. He he he's got his hand out to a bunch of guys, and he's always looking for uh, the next um, the next person to help out. So which oh, is, I, uh, I try, which is which is admirable. For some man, dude David. some
0: dude just wrote me and they said uh, they said that I bash na. And I was like, I don't, I, it shocked me. Yeah. So I want to put it out there that I have nothing <clears throat> against N.A. I, in fact, I got a lot of a good clean months in N.A., a lot of good material. I love N.A. I just, it didn't, it didn't save me the way the other one saved me. You know, like, and so, like, if anyone ever thinks I've bashed N.A., I've never done such a thing. Listen, I, it's,
1: I, the same, it's the same program. It's a program it's a program of recovery no matter how you look at it the steps are the same everything's the same it's how you look at it now if you're looking at it like drugs was your problem then you have to completely change it because it's drugs ain't the problem it, you know the, if you're looking at alcohol is the problem i know a hundred million people today that drink alcohol successfully every single day sure or whatever on the weekends at parties at weddings they don't have a problem the alcohol's not the problem the problem is when it hits my lips and when it touches my mouth and when The obsessive compulsive and the the allergy of the body kicks in. That's where the problem occurs. And we need to figure out why... We're doing it. I don't care what recovery you go to. I, however, go to Alcoholics Anonymous uh, because, you know, I have a lot of friends. But I also go to, like, uh, one, two meetings a month in NA because I help out a lot of guys that are that are that were addicted to heroin and pills and all sort of this other stuff. So in the big picture, I don't care where you go. But if you're doing something to better yourself, you know, that's the first step.
0: But I, I also want to say, like, because I barely drank. I, I drank, like like a, like, not a lot in my life. And I it was very hard for me to get better without AA. So I just say that yeah. to junkies out there who are going to NA and maybe not getting better. That's not me bashing the program. It's yeah. me saying that for me, AA was just like a, a better tool for what was broken with yeah. me. That's all. Here, you want to read this email? You can read it. Okay. Go for it. This is from <laughs> a fan named Zoe. Okay, And she says, Dave, I've been trying to write you for a few days now, but haven't been able to find the words. One of my good friends overdosed the other night, and weirdly, your podcast has been helping me get Mm. through it because he introduced me to Dopey. However, I just got to the episode where Chris's death was announced. Mm. It broke my heart. After listening to you both talk and beginning to feel like I knew you both, it felt like I lost another friend after hearing about Chris. I've been sober for over a year now, and I work for a weed company in Northern California. Odd job choice, I know. But there's only a few people I can talk to uh, there who understand addiction. I've been listening to Dopey at work for a good month now because it makes me feel not so alone. Today, when I heard the episode about Chris, I was in tears. I hadn't cried over the death of my friend because I was just numb. But hearing you and Annie talk about Chris brought all my feelings to the surface. I left work early today because I felt like I had lost two friends. Anyways, I love Dopey, and even though I'm far behind... I'm slowly getting caught up, and I know you have done great things with it. Your song, Good So Bad, lifts me up, and I listen to it almost every morning before work. I hope you and your family are doing well. Much love, Zoe. Uh, see, I mean... It's good stuff. It's, it's, it's very sad, though, because, like... Um, when people have to face that consequence, like... like, Because we're... I mean, like, the, th- the thing I love about Dopey, the thing that I love about Dopey more than anything is it's a bunch of people who have nothing to do with each other all over the world Mm -hmm. who just love to get fucked up, you know, and, and like, loved needed to escape, did a lot of stupid things, and then all of a sudden they're cued into our show and could relate to it and could, and and just, they're part of this little secret society, and and a lot of them are too scared to go to a 12-step group Mm -hmm. or aren't ready, and yet Dopey touched them, and I just feel, like, incredibly proud and, and, happy and excited that the thing that me and chris had started like makes these people feel this thing yeah you know yeah i also know the story you told me about your dad and then you went to the meeting that's what happened to me with chris yeah i was going once a month and chris died and i showed up at that meeting and because i because i knew that i was either going to go one way or the other way of course you know and it was um it's just crazy um garrett i love you Love you, buddy. I'm happy you came on. Was it yeah. was it good for you? Oh yeah, felt good. I appreciate you
1: having me, man. It's really good stuff.
0: You're yeah. like the the new school Joe and Charlie tape on dopey. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yep. If I could betray one thing, it's love today, man. If uh, if I could just show the people, you know, the, the unconditional love I have in my heart for this program, for the people in recovery, you know, it's 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 unbelievable. You know, and and my phone's always on, and um, and you know, obviously, I always put my hand out to as many people as I can. It was so freely given to me that I can't help to so freely give it back.
0: I appreciate it, buddy.
1: All right, man. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So that was Garrett. Um, Serious man, serious recovery. And uh, if you guys couldn't tell, Garrett's actually my sponsor with the real deal tattoos on his fingers. Before we did the interview, he had said he didn't want to talk about it. But then after we were done, he said he did. So look for Garrett in the future on what it's like to sponsor a big mouth like me. I know that before I ever had a sponsor, uh, I tried to do the program, and it was basically impossible to do it without a sponsor. So if you guys are out there going to meetings and using and wondering why you can't get your shit together, um, see if you have a sponsor. And then what, the, what everybody says is, see if your sponsor has a sponsor. See if your sponsor has been through the steps See if their sponsor has been through the steps. These are just, like, they annoying sort of pseudo-rules of recovery, but they're only rules because they're incredibly effective. And I have a lot of people... I mean, we have a lot of people out there in the Dopey Nation who are struggling, and people who don't know why they can't get clean. And I think one of the easiest ways to get clean is just to, like, do what you're told. Like, these people in these 12 step groups have done it and they had to follow directions. And obviously you don't have to get sober through 12 step groups, but it's incredibly effective. You know, I I, I advocate everybody to do whatever the fuck they want, but 12 step got me sober. 12 step obviously got this guy, Garrett sober. It got a million other people sober. Do whatever makes you happy. You know, as we used to say, let your freak flag fly. But, um, I'm hearing from a ton of people who are still totally suffering. So if you want to mitigate suffering, uh, that's one way to do it. There's a million ways to do it. There's always more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Um, Before I go, I just want to say uh, Josh is finishing his detox at Mountainside tomorrow. He sounded incredibly optimistic. Price finished his detox in Louisiana So let's wish those guys the best of luck. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Misty in the Dopey Nation who does all this amazing dopey book art. And uh, supposedly she's sending me some super cool uh, dopey book, which I'm excited to see, and I will show everybody else. Um, If you're doing art and you want to do some cool dopey art, send it to me at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Music would be awesome as well. Whatever happened to you guys with the dopey verses? I love those dopey fucking verses, and if you're wondering, my ketosis situation is uh is going strong. I have not had a fucking processed carb nor sugar uh in like almost three weeks. Linda did make keto brownies, which were very good, and, um, but they're very low carb, low sugar, and, and I felt guilty about having it. So I'm like almost three weeks into this thing. do I recommend it? I don't know. It's weird. If you're bored and you want something to do and you feel like you're getting a little bit fat, keto works. But just like 12-step is one way to get clean, keto is one way to get less fat. I personally like um, action. I love action in my life. I love adding things to my life. I love taking away destructive things to my life. I don't know when this show became so fucking schmaltzy and self-helpy, but I'm going to leave it there. Super short episode this week. Write me, write dopey at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Reddit, fucking Facebook, Twitter. The dopey Twitter people are just the best. I was up incredibly late last night. I've been working way too hard. And um, I've been working too hard. Every day I'm getting up at four in the morning. So I'm a little bit delirious. I'm a little bit deranged. Please send in dopey voicemails also to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris.